Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Robbie Straczynski. Thank you so much for joining us on episode number 105 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. Today's guest is known more frequently by his nickname than his actual name as we speak to the hugely successful poker pro Lucky Chewy, a.k.a. Andrew Lichtenberger. He's the winner of a World Series of Poker bracelet, a WSOP circuit event, and over $14 million in live tournament earnings. Andrew shot to fame just a decade ago, but he's been playing for closer to two. In recent months, he's been crushing the super high roller scene as well, culminating in a third place finish in the recent 300K entry Super High Roller Bowl in Las Vegas for a result worth over $1.1 million. We're going to hear all about that as well as his life off the felt, and we're going to get to know Andrew a little better. Andrew Lichtenberger, welcome to the Cards Chat Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Robbie. I'm, I'm pleased to be here. Yeah, pleased to be seeing you, especially it's a little bit after midnight in Las Vegas, but you seem wide awake. I guess uh, you're you're nocturnal, like a lot of poker players. Yeah, not not too shocking for me to be up at this hour and even later. So, yeah, <laughs> very cool. All right, so um, I'm just you know, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Well, I'm sure we're going to go off script plenty of times because uh, uh, you're going to. Probably you, you you tend to give some profound answers and some profound oh. thoughts, so I'm definitely going to want to dig a little bit deeper. Um, so we're going to talk about the various stages of your career, but you know, let's start with the the most recent result first. It's the second biggest tournament cash of your career. Um, what was it like to play in the 300k Super High Roller Bowl, and what made you decide to just you know hop into a 300k? It's not something a lot of people do. I think. There were only, what, 24 players in the entire event. So uh, what brings you uh, to the Poker Go Felt? Yeah, so um, I've actually played in, in a few of those uh, sized buy-ins before. And lately I've been doing fairly well, uh, just generally in tournaments of higher buy-in levels. So against kind of similar competition that I would face there. And uh, of the friends that I discussed with it, it seemed like it was a good opportunity. Um, you know, hindsight's 2020, so obviously I'm glad I, I, I did <laughs> enter. Um, but I do really love the challenge that uh, high stakes poker uh, presents. And yeah, no better place to face that challenge than the highest buying levels that are being offered. For sure. In, in what way, I mean, this is something, you know, the, the rarefied error of those types of buy-ins, very few people have that firsthand experience, like in the entire world. I mean, what could you say, you know, could you pinpoint any particular differences between something of that, just, you know, that's really the highest buy-in there are, you know, the 250Ks, the 300Ks versus let's say a, a 10K or a 25K. Like what is the difference maker there you know, between like an A plus and an A plus plus, you know, what, what can you identify there? In terms of the player pool or like the skills that you need to enter? Um, actually, I'd say both because I think it's okay. Yeah. I, I, yeah. But let's hear from you. you. You've done it, not me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So with the player pool, it's interesting. Actually, you face uh, less um, talented, but not elite pros because of the, you know, the gap between the buy-in size. So even in say like a 50K buy-in compared to a 300K, there's a lot of really talented pros that would, you know, 
probably do well in the higher buying levels, but there's a whole host of, of issues. It's, you know, their, their self-confidence, um, you know, getting action sold, getting actually money to the casino. Um, it's not, it's not a trivial, um, thing to, you know, find yourself actually entering those events. So in that sense, uh, you know, you're playing against, uh, still plenty of pros, but only the best of the best, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting. And then, yeah, as far as what you need in yourself to succeed, you really do have to believe in yourself. You can't, um, like, I think sometimes pros that are, are, are very talented and, and particularly the ones that are more technically, uh, sound and operate from, a um, hard to say, I was going to say purely logical, mm. Uh, perspective of the game, which I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like that's in any way negative. Mm-hmm. Um, but you really do have to trust yourself when you're out there and, and be able to, um, you know, make big calls or big folds or big bluffs or do whatever it is that you really feel you need to do. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think um, players that do well in, like you said, a 10 K type event, uh, they might have, uh, a lot of uh, technical poker or raw poker talent, but to really be able to execute um, when there is a lot more money on the line, I think you just have to have like a you know, very uh, deep level of trust in your abilities and you, you don't know what kind of situations you're going to be faced with on any given day. Right. So, right. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of largely what differs. So watching you play those events, you know, on the stream, on the broadcast, and, you know, people who didn't see that, they see the clips, obviously, you know, cool as a cucumber, totally composed. But, you know, you know, even you were saying that you've played a few of those events before, you know, you can probably count them on, you know, one or two hands. It's still, you know, something special. And that's, that's oh, yeah. special about the Super High Roller Bowl. How do you go, like, emotionally now, now that you're, you know, you're not on the camera or whatever it is, as, as far as like playing against other players, are there any sort of butterflies that you get going into events, uh, those sides? Yeah. And to be honest, that's not uncommon for me in any tournament. Like I go play, mm. you know, a 3k event at the win or a 5k at the world series. Like really anytime I go to play or go to even do anything, um, like, you know, coming here, chatting with you, like, uh, I do get excited, like naturally okay. I'm, an, I'm an excitable person. So when I enter into something new, mm. I do tend to get like a little bit of that butterflies in your stomach kind of effect. Um, but then, you know, once I settle into it, then it dissipates. Uh, so yeah, it's no different, you know, of course, um, in, in that kind of event. Uh, I think once you, you know, once you sit down and you start playing and you're like, eh, it's just the same game against the, guys that I've played against, you know, right. tons of hours uh, prior. So, yeah, it is what it is. Okay. Everyone gets two cards. and Yeah, and exactly. Uh, well, you know, a couple guys you've obviously played uh, plenty against, uh, Daniel Negreanu, Nick Petrangelo, uh, the other two uh, of the final three in that event. Um, you know, they were kind of like battling, you know, for, for the chip leave most of the time, and you're, you know, hang, hanging around, you know, like the typical, uh, <laughs> the typical style there. What is it like from an ICM perspective? What thought? I mean, because obviously you're still playing to win, uh, mm-hmm. but you know, sitting there in that spot, you've obviously made it very far. You're, you know, you've cashed. You're free rolling in that sense. So, what are the thoughts going through your head as far as how to handle yourself for the duration uh, once it gets down to three? 
Yeah, it's really interesting, particularly because of the structure and the, you know, the deeper uh, stack in terms of big blinds uh, relative to other tournaments, um, particularly like online tournaments, you'll, you'll very rarely find yourself with stacks that deep at a final table. So there's a lot more play. And, um, you know, although at that uh, buying level, you can't really count on skill edge as much as you could in, in a smaller buying level because edges will be uh, somewhat more limited. But um, yeah, it's very interesting, right? Because it's, it's super dynamic the way that the, the chip stacks change. And for a large portion of three-handed play, uh, Daniel had most of the chips. We did kind of get equal and at one point, when I was watching the footage back, I realized I, I did have the lead for a very small uh, period of time. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's important to just remain cognizant of uh, the fact that you 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 understand kind of intuitively what strategic adjustments you'll want to make, mm-hmm. uh, depending on how those uh, chips move around uh, the different players, uh, and, and then just kind of you know recalling from previous experiences or just. Yeah, heuristics or mechanics that would apply to either having a shorter or a larger stack. Um, but yeah, really just being aware and uh, maintaining focus on, um, yeah, the different sorts of ranges and strategies that you want to implement. Got it. Well, yeah, you know, the one of those little things you, you said there actually kind of dovetails on what I wanted to ask next anyway. Uh, you said when I was watching the footage back. So mm-hmm. You know, that's typical, you know, great athletes, they go ahead and do that and they try to pick up things. So, you know, beyond just sort of being entertained and watching it as a fan, you know, you're still a fan of the game. What types of stuff are you looking for when you watch that event back? Is it more in your opponents or more about yourself uh, as far as improving and getting better for next time? Yeah, it's definitely both. Uh, You know, I want to see from a kind of bird's eye view, how did I look while I was playing? Um, are there things that, uh, my opponents did that I didn't recall? Um, of course, just, you know, getting a, a very streamlined view from start to finish, mm-hmm. uh, of what hands people had and kind of just like reimmersing myself in the experience and seeing how one hand led to another, uh, any sort of, um, plot lines, maybe not the best way to describe it, but like, uh, narratives that players maybe tell themselves or that became somewhat apparent in the game, just kind of following the action and, and then the sequence of events. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's invaluable. I mean, it's great to have access to, to be able to do that. Of course, some events you run deep and you don't have that. So right. may as well take advantage of it when it's there. For sure. Well, again, you're in a, in a unique position as far as, you know, almost, almost like a pro's pro in a sense. And I kind of mm-hmm. wonder... How do you study? I mean, you're, you teach. We'll talk about Learn WPT a little bit later in the show. Uh, but, you know, beyond sort of looking at footage, uh, are you kind of like in that kind of have to do it myself, Lone Wolf? Or do you still have like a, even a small group uh, who you bounce hands off of? You know, like what, what does study and getting in the lab look like for Lucky Chewy? Yeah, so uh, on this occasion, like when I watched back the footage, I, I did do it by myself. It was in the wee hours of the morning. So no surprise there. Most of my friends are asleep. Uh Um, I do have a group of sort of, uh, I guess, core study partners that I'll bounce ideas around with. Um, Most of that is, 
I would say looking at models that have been simulated using various programs and uh, discussing the practicality uh, of them in, in terms of like real world application or, um, you know, drawing um, sort of ideas from them because you can look at like a, a simulation and be like, okay, you know, here's what it says. But I feel that it's somewhat lacking to not, um, you know, draw your own ideas from it. It's a, uh, you know, it's, it's a limited um, and, and in many ways flawed model because mm-hmm. of the inputs there. Um, they're very open and shut. It's, it's mm-hmm. not, uh, you know, considering you can alter it and, and look through, um, you know, mo- modified examples. And I'll do that sometimes too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I pretty much just uh, get to work, right? Like right. Uh, <laughs> input the variables and see kind of, um, often what I'm cross-checking when I'm looking at spots is like, the things that I was thinking in game, because I do have uh, blessed with like a very strong memory and recall ability. So I can bring myself back to the moment that I had at the table pretty well. And then I'm looking at the spot after the fact, I'm trying to identify if I had the right things running through my mind whilst I was playing the spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think the, the more that I familiarize myself with, uh, theoretical ideas, the more I feel comfortable than, uh, you know, trusting myself to go out of book in a sense, if you will, right. And, right. and go off the beaten path. And uh, yeah, because then you know what an equilibrium strategy would roughly look like. And if the parameters for that equilibrium um, that were taking place in game are not present, mm-hmm. then being able to adjust on the flies, you know, kind of an invaluable part of poker. And uh, yeah, because I was uh, playing long before a lot of these tools were invented, I tend to actually quite like those situations. So for example, in this case, Daniel did a lot of open limping. It's not something I've ever really studied, but I've played limping strategies myself over the years. And uh, yeah, I feel actually quite comfortable and confident uh, combating that strategy. Um, so yeah, it was, it was interesting and, and, and very unique final table. Right. So when he tweets limping is pimping, you're not laughing. You're just like, oh, okay, good. I know what to do here. <laughs> yeah, yes and no. I mean, um, I, I actually will, I'll give Daniel some props. Uh, I think it was cool that he played a style that was authentic to him. Mm. And uh, I think it was, it just fit him well, right? Like it's, it's something that he's, he's somewhat, uh, I guess he's like, you know, playfully bragged about. Uh, in the post-mortem after yep. the fact. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I obviously don't um, play that strategy for a reason. I mm-hmm. think there's more effective strategies, but for him, it worked and, you know, more power yeah. to him. Cool. Um, well, uh, one thing, not that you need any sort of uh, confirmation from me, but you said, you know, you're blessed with a great memory. I was pretty blown away. You remembered exactly where, when uh, you and I met in Choctaw. I was like, Someone who meets a lot of people, travels to a lot of places. You're like, oh, wow, you remembered exactly where. And you even remembered I gave you a patch. So, like, that was pretty cool. Um, And it was nice just to have that one interaction. But, again, just uh, grateful to have a longer chance to speak with you today. Um, Yeah, likewise. Thanks, man. Um, So, about study. How often do you study when, I guess, what percentage of time that you dedicate to poker is study versus play? 
Yeah. So, I mean, for me, and I know this isn't the way everybody approaches it, but poker is kind of a lifestyle for me. Like I'm always thinking about different spots, hands. Like I, I enjoy watching streams. Uh, if I go out to eat with friends and they play, we'll often be bouncing ideas around. Uh, I, I don't mind so much uh, traversing different topics of conversation and having poker flow in and out. So mm-hmm. uh, I have kind of a more ad hoc system. Like I, I will set time aside. Like obviously if I'm playing, I have to set time aside for that. But um, you know, if I have an hour, I'll, you know, maybe look at some spots. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, if you run simulations, it'll, it'll take some time for them to complete. So uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, unfortunately have a great answer for you uh i pretty much just take it as it comes that's fair and uh yeah just keep my i keep my um my mind open to yeah just new ideas and yeah just sure. take it as it comes really well uh you know looking at your results not results oriented but looking at those results to see you've won 14 tournaments obviously you're kind of a closer uh, you don't get uh, those types of uh, winnings without reaching the absolute pinnacle of, of many tournaments. Would you say that you have a particular strength uh, in late tournaments when it comes to, you know, the final three or heads up or something like that? Or it just happens to have been, you know, good variance as a lot of uh, poker players sometimes say. Yeah, I mean, sure, that's part of it. Like the cards do have to go your way. Um, I did play a lot of heads up online. Uh, cash games back in the day, like pre Black Friday, mm-hmm. even a bit since then. But a lot of my volume was was back then, and I always found it to be really insightful to play spots where ranges are very wide. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the more shorthanded I get, the more I'm sort of used to that, just from many years previous having played. Uh, I also think I have sort of a, I don't know if it's that unique amongst top players, but uh, like, I really enjoy like high pressure situations Mm. and yeah, I don't know what it is, but uh, something about it, it's exciting to me that it's like, in a sense, like do or die. Like, Mm. I I like that. Do you like that as a kid as well? Um, Not as much, actually. Like I used to play uh, Diablo 2. It's like a Blizzard game. And you have like a character and you go around and get items and level up and fight battles and stuff. And uh, there was two options where you could set up your game to play. One was just regular. And like if somebody slays you in a duel, then you respawn your character. Uh And the other was hardcore. And uh, if you're playing hardcore mode and your character perishes, then you're done. You got to start over from scratch. Uh I always thought that was the craziest thing because you could spend months or years building your character and then if you just lose you're out and you got to start over um but ironically that's kind of how tournaments are now granted they don't take months at a time so maybe that's kind of the main differentiating factor but uh, i do think i was somewhat more risk averse when i was younger and when i first started playing i was actually like quite tight uh too tight as a as a player and it was only over time that i kind of realized like oh i get it and then Went way the opposite direction. I was like way too loose. So right. <laughs> eventually right. found a happy uh, middle ground. Besides sort of being success, I mean, you know, you've obviously got a really good head on your shoulders. You know, you found success at poke. You say, hey, I'm good at this. What is it that made you decide to go ahead and pursue that? And, you know, the, you said you live a, a poker lifestyle. 
as opposed to, you know, a more traditional career. I imagine that if you went, you know, wanted to go ahead and choose any college major you wanted uh, and get into any profession, you'd probably be pretty damn successful at that too. Yeah, I would think so. Um, To be honest, like I'm quite stubborn in that if I don't really enjoy what I'm doing, I can't really do it, at least for any extended period of time. And I just quite frankly didn't really find anything that I enjoyed as much as poker. Mm. So kind of just still doing it for that reason. (laughs) And how about away from the felt? What types of stuff uh, do you enjoy when you're not playing or studying or talking through hands over dinner? Yeah. um, I mean, I obviously enjoy spending time with, with friends and family. Um, have a beautiful, amazing wife and she's very supportive. Um, so when I'm not playing, definitely focused on uh, just the relationships in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of that, I really enjoy rock climbing. Vegas is a particularly great place for it. It's like a climbing Mecca. If you take all the places across the world. Um, so that's something I really enjoy. There's a nice rock climbing gym close to where I live and then red rock, on uh, right. state park is also not too far. There's a lot of great options there. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoy weightlifting. I enjoy yoga, although I'm not doing it quite as much as I was. That's also another thing that can really become a lifestyle. Uh, in the phase of my life where I had grown out my hair and my beard, I was very much living that. <laughs> and uh, it's still a part of my life. It's just not kind of to the same degree. Right. Uh uh, you can actually see my violin back here. I t- started taking music lessons uh, uh-huh. a couple of years ago. And although I've not been as diligent about uh, keeping up with that lately due to the sort of intensity of the MTT schedule, sure. um, that is something that I also enjoy and intend to pick back up and, and really focus on. Um, and yeah, you know, just enjoy reading. I enjoy podcasts. I, right. I just generally enjoy learning. Hmm. Um, the, the only other thing that I guess I really thought about pursuing were it not poker was philosophy, but not a super clear path to, I guess, a career. I mean, I could have like studied it, uh, in college and became a professor or what yeah. have you, but, uh, I don't well, know. That, Maybe poker definitely- is a good path to be sure. like a modern Aristotle. Who knows? For sure. <laughs> well, you definitely touched on points that we're going to be again, speaking about later. Uh, you did mention yoga. Um, you know, you've mentioned in the past, you're not a religious person per se, but you do have a spiritual side. And again, I think that's yeah. relatively uh, apparent. Anyone who speaks to you for any length of time, you make a, a big effort to live in the now. Mm-hmm. When did that change happen for you? And to what degree do you think that that sort of, been helpful as far as your professional advancement? Yeah. Um, so I can recall a very specific moment where my brother had actually, he's three years younger. He'd actually gotten into sort of this uh, way of thinking or exposed himself to these ideas before I did. And one day we were sitting out in the backyard uh, of my house here in Vegas and he put on a YouTube video and we did like a short meditation. And I just remember having kind of like a epiphany light bulb moment during that. And I was just like, wow, like I really get it. Like I've never kind of had this understanding before. And that really shaped my perspective and kind of led me down this, this path um, of uh, I guess you could call it Mm -hmm. self-realization, self-awareness. And um, yeah, as far as how that relates to poker, I mean, 
there's so much going on uh, at the poker table in terms of subtleties of movements, timing, um, expressions, like micro expressions, the way people are moving their body. And uh, yeah, just the more present you are, the more aware you are of those things. And also aware of your own um, going ons, whether physiological, mental, emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I often get like a lot of pretty profound insights based on what kinds of thoughts I have. Like, you know, we all sort of have like a, a narrative or like a, a voice in our mind like that sometimes commentates or, or just speaks to us in a certain way. Like we speak to ourselves, right? So yeah. uh, depending on the situation, sometimes there'll be things that come in my mind, which are particularly unusual. And I've, I've, I've actually found that that can be quite insightful, maybe not in terms of like strategically what I need to do, but ways in which I'm thinking about things that are either accurate or, or inaccurate. And uh, yeah, it's a good barometer for, I guess, me to identify where I'm at uh, on any given day or mm-hmm. in any given moment. Interesting. I, I can't say I ever get self-conscious when conducting these interviews, but now I'm wondering what's his read on me and all my facial tics. You're great, man. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We're also not playing poker, so I, right, I exactly. Well, thank now. God, because I would not want you on my left. I'll tell you that. Um, so um, you did make, uh, you know, besides like the the spiritual, like you mentioned, uh, weightlifting, obviously, you know, physical fitness, taking care of yourself. Uh, that's obviously something that's very important to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you made uh, an alteration to your diet at some point many years ago, uh, converting to raw foods only. Um, you know, that's obviously something that has a, an effect on a person's life and, and well-being and health and all that stuff. Um, you know, to what degree do you feel that that's important? Again, specifically in a game that's, you know, very demanding as a mind sport. Like, does is it unrelated or is it just like a life thing or is it like you know poker players who are aspiring to to do better would do well to to make a change like that yeah so i don't i don't eat that way anymore that was like a an experiment that i would say it lasted somewhere from maybe i think around six to eight months mm. and uh it was very interesting uh i mean one of the challenges is that you're just not getting that many calories in any given sitting. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the upsides is that you feel like an incredible lightness to your body. Like I was sleeping really well. I was getting up really easily. I've never been a morning person, but I had more sort of energy in the mornings than I ordinarily would. Hmm. Um, yeah, it was, it was very interesting. I, I'm definitely someone that likes adventures and likes to explore. So yeah, when I heard about that and people were actually doing that, it was it was very intriguing to me. But I personally found it to be unsustainable, at mm-hmm. least with where I was at in my life then and today, uh, just the same. Maybe at some point I would go back to that, but guessing probably not. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's that suitable for, for too many people. I do find that uh, when I really have to focus for long sessions, and this is something I'm actually about to embark on a, a bit of a journey on to, to have more clarity about. Um, I find that if I don't have enough food, it can really affect my focus down the stretch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have toyed with like 
intermittent fasting and other sort of fasting ideas. I don't find that that really works that well for me. Um, maybe there's other sort of supplements that one could take to assist in that. But uh, yeah, I do find nutrition and poker to have a really interesting link. And I know every body is different. So right. what works for one person will work for another. But uh, I think there's a lot to be said for enhancing performance by you know, putting in your body what is really going to allow it to you know, help your mind function in the most optimal way. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. And you know, I imagine you've played your fair share of lengthy sessions. Uh, you know, do you feel like a specific type of uh, endurance uh, due to the diet? Um, I think just naturally, like <laughs> I've always thought I would do really well in those Ironman type tournaments uh-huh. where say like, we start at noon and we finish at like noon the next day. Right. Like I think I would just do well <laughs> in that kind of format. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure how much of that is, is diet related and how much of that is just my desire to just keep playing hands. Gotcha. Okay. Um, well, talking about uh, health, fitness, you know, everyone assumes that Lucky Chewy is related to Star Wars and Chewbacca, <laughs> but it's kind of health related if if i if i understand correctly can you sort of tell us how that uh, nickname came about and i'm sure you've told the story i don't actually know oh yeah no worries um in third grade i had a friend his name is kevin roby and uh he started affectionately calling me chewy because my mother would pack me true granola bars in my lunchbox every day and uh yeah that just kind of stuck and then all my friends, everyone in school just kind of called me Chewy. And that was that. I, I made it part of my uh, my poker alias. Nice. Here we are. Those are underrated. I use, I still use those, you know, especially when I'm abroad. I'm looking for like kosher food and stuff. It's just great <laughs> to pack a good energy boost. It's granola. So it's not too And a little bit of chocolate and taste. It's nice. Yeah. There cool. you go. Um, so we wrote, you wrote this book, um, The Yoga of Poker on the subject of meditation. Uh, and mindfulness, uh, you talked about possibility, you know, that you could have gone down the road of, of being a professor, uh, you know, looking Maybe. into philosophy. I don't want to toot my own horn too much. I'm Maybe tooting I your horn because it's obvious. It's just like, <laughs> I, I genuinely feel like I could be speaking to an academic. I, I, I do feel that way right now. It's very cool. Um, hmm. What possessed you to feel the need to write a book in the first place? Yeah, it was an interesting phase in my life. Um, I was just out of a a long-term relationship and I was getting more and more exposure to this way of thinking. And I had just a, you know, generally large um, transformation in my life at that phase. So yeah, it was fun to kind of get creative and and put words down. And um, yeah, ultimately I ended up uh, with that book. Uh, it's interesting when I read it back now, like uh, a lot of the ideas uh, still um, I hold uh, near and dear and, and true to myself. Um, but some of it I might make edits to um, at mm-hmm. some point. Um, but yeah, it was fun. And uh, I thought it was, it was nice to share a perspective that I feel like a lot of poker players are um, witness to in their own experience. Mm. But it's not always the easiest thing to articulate. And I thought it would be somewhat relatable. And it, it seems like it largely has been. Yeah. So. 
That's cool. Okay, cool. Um, we're going to switch gears as one does at the poker table, shift back to, you know, the, the poker, the results uh, specifically. Um, you've had a lot of success on the World Poker Tour. Uh, nine caches. It was on the WPT that you had your biggest live results uh, over $1.7 million. A final table that features Bryn Kenny, Brian Rast, uh, and your heads-up opponent, the big cheese, Tom Marchese. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that particular tournament? Um, and also, do you sort of feel that the recent you know, Poker Go high rollers have replaced the Alpha H? to an extent, because uh, that kind of happened a little, a while back. Yeah. Uh, so I do remember that, that final table quite well, or the whole tournament. Um, I actually, um, I played my first bullet on day one and had busted near the end of the day. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even sure I was going to re-enter. And um, some friends uh, gave some encouragement and obviously that ended pretty well. Uh that was an interesting phase in, in poker for me. It was around the time, like the, the book you just referenced, I'd, I'd written it and then it actually uh, got sent to me like the hard copies, like a week following the tournament. Oh, wow. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was really interesting timing. Like I was, I was very much uh, immersing myself in this. I wouldn't say new way of thinking, but I really clarified a lot of ideas that, had maybe bounced around in my mind in, in various ways, but they, they really coalesced in a, a very particular way. Um, so yeah, that was really cool. Uh, very grateful for that. And then as far as poker go, I was concerned. Yeah. I mean, I think that um, poker go Triton, um, I guess EPT still has quite a few high rollers. Uh, I would imagine that WPT stopped running the alpha eight series because maybe demand was down or it was just too big of a gap. Because they do still often run you know, 10 to 25K, even 50K right. type events around the, the WPT main tours. But 100K is a bit large. And um, I, I would just guess it was too challenging for them to, to fill the seats, although I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, certainly around Vegas, Poker goes definitely filled that void. I do sometimes worry that they run too many events as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you can only, I guess, do something so consistently before uh, you run the risk of like becoming oversaturated in terms of volume or, um, you know, if, if certain players don't win much, then they might cease to show up. So sure. uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's great for me. I love the studio. I think what Carrie's created, uh, Carrie Katz um, is incredible. And yeah, it's definitely my favorite place to play in town, like hands down. So it's awesome. Yeah. The staff there is incredible. How about uh, just, outside of Vegas? Phenomenal experience. Uh, and how about outside of Vegas and outside of the U S favorite places to play? Well, I guess Aussie millions is kind of on pause, but that was one of my favorite stops. Um, Crown casino in Melbourne. I mean, I guess the casino is kind of whatever. It's a nice casino, but mm-hmm. the city Melbourne itself is, is awesome. Mm-hmm. So I really enjoyed going down there. Um, I played post Black Friday once at Casino de Madrid. I thought that was really cool. Uh, that always kind of stuck out to me. Um, Did you play cash games there? 
It did. And I believe that you're referencing this because you know how they play differently. Yes. <laughs> Why don't yes. you go ahead and tell, tell the, the audience? Yeah. So you just act in reverse. So it's really weird. They deal in reverse. The blinds are posted in reverse. It's all just in reverse. Uh, I don't know why they do that, but yeah, it was very interesting. It's like driving on the other side of the road, I guess, right? It really is. Yeah. <laughs> it, like, because all of the instincts that you've learned of, you know, make sure you look left, all these, like, really, like, yep. all these things, you, it, it must be confusing. And especially, you know, you're not playing one three. Yeah, it's very odd. Uh, <laughs> it's cool, though. Yeah, definitely an experience. Um, who's the friendliest player you've ever competed against? Well, I would say in like uh, smaller to mid buy-in uh, events, most people are, I mean, even in, in higher buy-ins, like honestly, everyone's very friendly. It's just a matter of how uh, expressive people are of their friendliness during gameplay, right? Because mm. some people are very friendly, um, but they're not necessarily trying to have a heart-to-heart like during right. gameplay. Uh, I don't know that I have a good answer. Uh, <laughs> okay. No one really springs to mind as like particularly friendly relative to others. Okay. Uh, the reason we asked that question, it's the friendliest poker podcast in town. So we ah. try to ask all of our guests that question. That's the, that's the, well, I hope that you could fill that void, but we haven't yet played together. Ah, yes. <laughs> well, I'm just about uh, 99% short of the buy-in. Daniel said, you know, he'll spot me 1% uh, for the super high rollers. So, uh, 99%. Well, I still play smaller buy-ins. Like, right. I, 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 I'm, at, I'm at a lot of poker tables throughout the year. Not I don't, I don't uh, swear off smaller events. For sure. So. Well, well, how do you plan your schedule out? I mean, is it really just because I mean, you said you don't just play the you know the, the huge binds. You'll you know you'll get the butterflies for a three k at the win as well. Like, what is it that makes you say, okay, that's an event I want to play. That event I don't want to play. That sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is just like um, scheduling related. Uh, like, if I'm in town and I want to play cards. I just kind of take a look at what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I genuinely love poker, so I'm often looking to play. Uh, I think that different operators or, or hosts of event series do a pretty good job these days of balancing them out and, and being... Uh, well, it's, it's also just good for their bottom line if they don't overlap series, right? Because they want the same players that are going to play one event series to play another one. Uh-huh. Uh, so yeah, I, I find that often there's just good, a lot of good tournaments going on at various points throughout the year. And um, yeah, particularly as of late, seems like uh, being a tournament player is a, is a great skill to have. There's just so many events going on. I'm yeah. really excited to see what 2023 brings. Cool. Good spot to be in. And well, how about online? And you mentioned, uh, you know, the Lucky Chewy name online, pretty legendary. Um, you know, you're in you know, Nevada, you're allowed to play online, uh, you know, that sort of a thing. Do you still get the same buzz out of it like you do from playing live tournaments? Um, sometimes it's a bit different, <clears throat> like not having the atmosphere to play a role. It does change things, but I do just genuinely get excited if I'm, deep in any tournament. Um, 
or even if I'm just like playing, like sometimes, you know, I have a lot of friends in Vegas who are, you know, know about poker, but might not necessarily play even for money. And I've played like, you know, just some play home games. Even that's exciting. I'm just a, I'm pretty easily excited. <laughs> I just enjoy life. So yeah. Even in a home game, that that's uh, you got uh, you piqued my curiosity. I'm a big uh, home game hotshot. So, what sort of home? Why why play in a home game in Las Vegas when you've got well, you know, dozens of poker rooms to choose from? Well, it's not always about money, right? Like I, I I'm <clears> recalling <throat> a particular incident. Uh, this was a few months back. Um, I was just at a friend's house, and uh, uh. He had some some people over, and uh, his his girlfriend and one of her friends hadn't played uh, much poker really at all, and I was like, yeah, you know, they wanted to play and got some chips and cards, and wow. I think the casino experience would have maybe not been the best environment for them to learn. Oh, got it. Okay. Well, you mentioned learn. Uh, you know, those who are watching instead of just listening, you'll see that uh, Andrew's sporting the learn. WPT patch, uh, you know, obviously you're associated, you're an instructor with them. How did that uh, relationship with Learn WT, WPT first come about? And also, why is it important to you to teach poker and not just play it? Yeah, uh, I got asked to join at one point and I had done various um, poker coaching and, and teaching things previous. Uh, so I thought it would be a good fit. And, and as far as, uh, you know, why it's something that's important to me, uh, I, I do find that like teaching actually does help, uh, you know, just really solidify ideas on my own mind, but more uh, than that, you. it does. Yeah. Okay. And that's not the main reason I do it, but that's just something, uh, additional that I, I find to be you know, useful and beneficial. Uh, I really do like seeing other people gain an understanding. Mm. Um, I guess if you know you're looking at it from a purely monetary standpoint, like the the money I get paid for teaching probably doesn't make up for the fact that I uh, disseminate information to the player pool. But in this modern day and age, it's not that hard to expose yourself to ideas that will help you get better at poker. So it's not even really a, uh, something that I'm primarily focused on uh, doing for monetary gain. It's, it's mm -hmm. just something I enjoy. Like it is, it's genuinely fun. Like I like seeing other people have aha moments and a light bulb go off. Um, I really like the people I learn. Uh, I love the team and it's uh, yeah, it's just fun. It's, it's a fun group to be a part of. Nice. Well, there's a ton of uh, poker training sites and videos and books and all that kind of stuff out there. Um, who's the ideal candidate to choose Learn WPT as their place to, you know, improve on their game? Yeah, so at present, uh, most of the content just over the years has been geared towards more beginner level players. Uh, one of my goals is to, uh, which I would say is somewhat underway is to start shifting some of the content towards mid stakes type players, the guys that are, or gals that are playing like, you know, Heartland poker tour type events, like mm. smaller binds at the world series, 
that kind of crowd that wants to really level up and um, and progress towards higher buy-ins. Uh, that, to be frank, is kind of the demographic that I feel I'm most able to help. Hmm. Uh, because to teach like very basic poker strategy, of course I can do that, but I have a unique ability to really teach kind of um, you know advanced concepts. And I think it's uh, it's most useful to share that with the people who will really resonate with and allow them to excel. Got it. It's good. And I love you. Uh, you have such an eloquent way of delivering your speech. It's almost, it almost <laughs> sounds like you're reading that off of paper. Like that's how well-prepared and, and like, <laughs> I, I, I was a linguistics major, you know, so I, oh. I appreciate good language. Wow, that's quite high praise. From uh, yeah. Language. So um, like that, that's pretty damn cool. It's like, and you can hear that throughout you know, all your answers, but like though that particular question was just like, wow, that was, <laughs> that was almost like you're reading from the brochure. That's really, really cool. Um, yeah, to a wow. lot of people, you know, who followed your career, you could uh, perhaps be, you know, I want to be like, uh, you know, Lucky Chewy someday, win like him, play like him. Did you ever have uh, any sort of poker hero that you aspired uh, to play like, be like, to meet at some point, maybe when you were still uh, starstruck and, and entering the industry? Oh, yeah, totally. And it's been pretty surreal for me because a lot, I would say pretty much everybody that I had any sort of... Uh, feelings uh, of uh, novelty about or or I looked up to I've played with at this point um, so like for example my father uh, offered to drive me and some some of my friends to Turning Stone Casino in upstate New York when I turned 18 nice and uh, at that point in time Antonio Esfandiari had recently won uh, his uh, first WPT event and he wore, he like, he had the whole magician theme going on. He wore like a button down shirt mm-hmm. and I was like, I'm going to be like this guy. So I went and got like a very similar shirt and I wore it when I played my first session there. I played I don't know, some ungodly like 16 hour session or whatever. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I did, I did pretty well. And I had similar, um, uh, feelings of admiration towards Negreanu when I first started and he had full contact poker and sure. uh, his forums. And yeah, I just uh, thought that was super cool. And then the first year I went down to PCA to play on the Bahamas, he was at my starting table. I was just like, wow, it's kind of crazy. What was uh, so yeah, like? definitely. And what was it like playing with them also Antonio as well and meeting them for the first time? You remember that? Yeah. And I've told them both these stories because I think it is kind of like, Cute and deering. It's kind of funny. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Like I, I never felt any sort of awkwardness or fear. I more thought it was like a validation of um, my my own trajectory in the industry, awesome. and uh, you know, in many ways, like a, a checkpoint of success because I was able to get to that point where I was. Now playing against these people who I'd really looked up to, so that was really neat. For sure, that's that's very. Cool. I think there's a saying about that, like uh, you know, look up to your heroes until they're next to you, or something like something like that. If you get the exact <laughs> phrase, it's very yeah, cool. It makes sense. Um, so I looked through was 172 odd results on your Hendon mob. I think I maybe saw one PLO result, and it's just hold them after hold them after hold them. Uh, 
Is there any reason that you haven't, or at least to the best of my knowledge, you know, um, tried your hand more at mixed game play and other variants of poker uh, rather than just primarily sticking to the Cadillac? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I have dabbled a bit, and I think that I actually have a decent mind for mixed games. Uh, I did have one deuce to seven single draw uh, final table at the series. That was a, a reasonable result. But Missed it. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Yeah, all, all good. Um, I played some uh, some eight game online. This was kind of years ago. Uh, it's, it's tricky for me because like every year the world series has all these mixed game events and every year I kind of tell myself like, Hey, maybe I should play more of these. But at the end of the day, what it really comes down to is, uh, the opportunity cost of, you know, just kind of being realistic with myself. I can't play every day, all hours of the day. Mm. That's just not how I function best. And as the, you know, no limit scene has offered bigger buy-ins and I've you know really taken to specializing in that format. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that it's really all that pragmatic that I end up playing more mixed games. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, if no limit MTTs die off, I'd be more than happy to, to play and learn. And I have a number of friends who are very talented, like Nick Shulman, for example, he's a great mixed game player. And uh, he sort of encouraged me uh, to play more. Um, but yeah, I just don't really, I don't know when I would necessarily find the time. Uh, I do enjoy them, but I, I really still just love No Limits. So it's also just from a passion standpoint. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I I don't know if I'll, if I'll ever really do it at this point. I think it would be fun, but right. uh, That's yeah, so it, it's, it's so interesting. It's interesting. I, I'm, you know, everyone who knows me and like knows just how much I always promote and I love the mixed game scene. And I just kind of wonder, and it's so interesting to hear that answer, that perspective, like there's that genuine love, the fire is still burning to, you know, reach the top of that no limit holding pyramid. Very, very interesting. Um, mm-hmm. One, one mixed game player I did speak to recently, actually uh, episode number 102 of this podcast, David Buck. Uh, the two of you here had this for a segue, right? The two of you have an interesting connection. Um, you also loved bowling, although not to a professional mm-hmm. extent. Uh, once upon a time, you had your own ball, your own shoes. Um, Still do. Actually, I got a new one recently. Okay. Yeah. So why? what's the, the love for bowling? Where does that come from? How does that fit in uh, with, uh, with the philosophy? Because you didn't mention it when uh, we talked about other hobbies that you do. Yes, I forgot to mention that just, mm-hmm. just recently uh, when you asked that, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll like this, actually. Um, So when I was younger, um, my my father's been into bowling for a long time. And we we entered like a family bowling league that we'd go to on a weekly basis. And I entered a few other leagues. And then I was on the bowling team in high school. Nice. And uh, it was around that time that I got my first job at the the local bowling alley. I was spending a lot of time there. I knew the staff and um, just thought, hey, this makes sense. And it was also there that I got into poker because ah. the owner of the lanes and the guy who was like drilling the bowling balls at the pro shop would um, occasionally be playing online. And I was like, Hey, you know, what's, what's this all about? Huh. And uh, yeah, I was kind of into games already at that point from right. 
other, uh, you know, online games I was playing and they explained it to me and that coincided with the, the moneymaker era. Right. And I remember watching some live at the bike back then that was even going and, um, starting to play with friends in, in high school. Huh. One thing led to another and, you know, that was kind of that, but, uh, yeah, bowling's an interesting game. It's, uh, it's obviously got a strategic component and I kind of like the, um, the aspect of it where you have to be really precise. I think poker has a lot of similarities to that. Like poker's not a, I mean, like there is, you know, the element of luck, of course, but it's not a super forgiving game right. if you kind of get something wrong. Like if you, if you throw the ball wrong, like, yeah, you might still get a strike, but you're probably in trouble most of the right. time. <laughs> like you might get bailed out on the river if you play a hand poorly, but most of the time you're going to feel the wrath of your bad decision. I like right. that kind of quick feedback, I guess. It forces you to kind of be your best self. Ooh, I love that. It forces you to kind of, that's, that's, that's great. That's profound. And I think that the, that profound statement leads well into my last question for you before we get into the uh, community questions. Um, in your Twitter profile, you link to your Lucky Chewy blog. Uh, I believe mm-hmm. I saw just two posts there, unless I didn't look, uh, you know, I didn't see things under some stones over there. Um, one of the posts is from 2017. Uh, another post is from 2019. And I have to admit, I read them, not the entire thing, but what I read, like what I skimmed through was like, you really do genuinely write like a philosopher. It's uh, mm-hmm. pretty amazing. What does writing mean to you? And just in general, um, you know, what do you, what do you enjoy about expressing yourself through the written word? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I, I think it's it's a really interesting art form. It's oftentimes quite cathartic. Like I still do write a lot, but it's not always very um, cohesive. It's often kind of scattered. Uh, I recently actually kind of got inspired to start writing some poetry, uh, and that's that's been fun as well, just to explore as as another art form, but. Yeah, I think the ability to express yourself articulately is somewhat important, particularly in a in an age where I think a lot of people don't do a great job expressing themselves mm. and maybe don't value uh, getting through to others. So that's always been something that I valued just in myself, and I've sort of in- increased the the worth on as time has gone by. Um, and I just think it's fun. It's, it's, uh, it's very different from poker where there's like a boundless, uh, ability. Like you have a blank canvas. You can kind of go out of however you want in poker. It's like, I mean, there's certain rules, right? Right. (laughs) And, uh, you're, you're able to be creative within a, a somewhat confined space. There's a lot of room for creativity, but, um, yeah, the other art forms have, a lot less limitation in that regard. And I think that's, that's really interesting for me to explore. And can we expect, uh, you know, 2017, 2019, maybe in a third or a fourth blog post anytime soon? Yeah. I don't really update the blog very often. Uh, I really want to be inspired when I do. Mm. So yeah, when, whenever I do get inspired, I, I actually quite often think about it mm-hmm. and 
a non-negligible amount of times I've like started to combine different things or different threads of thought that I've started uh, in my notes or what have you, mm-hmm. um, but they don't really end up going anywhere. So right. I really wait for it to something to speak to me and then to, to put it out there for others to read. Okay. And I'll definitely recommend you just go to Andrew's uh, Twitter profile. Uh, the link is there on the blog. I highly recommend it. It's uh, again, it's just two posts, but you know, you can't rush genius. You know, that those, that, those are some really <laughs> profound, uh, you know, great thoughts. I really just like kind of like have to read it real slow and, and, and um, I don't know, kind of like savoring a, a good, a good meal just, or a good wine. Just like let that simmer in your mind. Good stuff there. Um, all right. We're now moving to the segment of the show. We turn to you guys, our cards chat community to see what questions you wanted to ask our guests. We have a dedicated thread on the cards chat forums for this. So as we announce who our future guests will be, please be sure to send in your questions. Uh, our first one comes from Chica Bonita. Um, Andrew, Chica Bonita wants to know, says as follows, uh, you've participated in various events around the world. Could you tell us if there's a specific event or maybe a specific tournament series uh, that you prefer? Uh, is there any you know, preference that you have for particular events? Um. I mean, I guess just from like a value standpoint, I prefer events that are larger because if you're traveling somewhere, then you're paying for flights, accommodations, um, often somewhat increased uh, food prices relative to what you might pay at home. So given the increased cost and just arriving at the venue, you want there to be a lot of players that... uh, I mean, I guess their skill level is kind of irrelevant, but you want to be able to like make good returns on the the money that you invest into, into any given tournament. So, uh, like I mentioned, Australia, that was a great stop. It was mm-hmm. like one of the biggest tournaments of the year. Um, the tournament that I did play in Madrid was the year that um, the EPT Grand Final moved from Monaco to Madrid. Uh, so that was another great thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the great event series. Um, Barcelona is often like quite large. Um, PCA and the Bahamas. Um, yeah, I don't know that like any really stick out as more enjoyable over others. I'm not sure if the question is geared towards uh, their own interest in trying to figure out where they might travel to. Ah, okay. Uh, but yeah, uh, lots of great event series. Um, I've heard incredible things about. The Triton series, I just haven't quite made it out there, but I'm very excited to attend one of those soon. Cool. Hopefully in 2023. Um, I also, I have to point out a very interesting answer, you know, really this like fascinating. I think this is something a lot of the audience members can can learn something from. Someone who's experienced your level of success, you know, again, you look at, you know, 14 million plus in tournament winnings, playing 300Ks, all that stuff. And it's not like, you know, a matter of thriftiness or something, but even at that level, super high rolling player, it's a genuine sort of appreciation for money when you're talking about, you know, yeah, there are costs involved, you know what I mean? Like, shouldn't be such a big deal, like, you know, for, for a one free player, whatever it is, it's like much more like a cost, but like the fact that that still matters to you, I think that that's a very good thing. Like you haven't lost touch uh, with you know yeah. what what money means, I think that's a, a well, very cool thing. I have lost touch, my friend. I've just I found it again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a, a lot of a lot of what might 
uh, you know, seem like, oh, wow, this guy really has, you know, he's got it going on. Like I made a lot of mistakes in my day. So, mm. <laughs> so I've, I've got to um, ask a follow up. Yeah. What do you, what do you think was your biggest mistake financially speaking in, in, in the poker world? Uh, well, it wasn't really in the poker world. It was kind of stepping outside and, oh. and trying my hand at, at startups. Um, huh. Lately, I've been fortunate to have um, some really uh, profound mentorship in, in that regard. But uh, yeah, it's, it's easy to think like, oh, I'm, I'm really winning at this game. I can win at other games. Mm. And I do think the poker skill set is transferable, uh, particularly once you once you achieve a certain level of success and start to see how it can map onto other industries but yeah it's not a one-to-one kind of thing you that's have to, fair uh, that's why i love that's that's what i love about uh, the community questions like they open up all these doors that i wouldn't necessarily have thought to investigate so that, yeah, that's great. pretty cool pretty cool yeah. uh shells uh asks a couple of questions thank you very much shells for submitting these um tell us about your most memorable moment in poker it does not have to be a win okay uh yeah, I have a pretty memorable moment. Uh, it's always stuck out to me. So this was 2018 Five Diamond. I guess it was day three, maybe day four. It's quite a long tournament. can't quite remember. But we're down to like 24 players. And I wasn't in the best uh, financial situation of my adult life, largely because of some investments I'd made that were not really panning out. I'd gotten involved with some characters that yeah the needles to say i uh i didn't have uh, a ton of liquidity at the time <laughs> and it was a meaningful tournament you know, talk about like big tournaments uh, over a million up top and like top five stack playing a pot against another top five stack and um ended up in a spot where on um, the river the board was four, five, five, six, ten. I think that sounds right. And um, maybe it was four, five, five. Maybe the term was a three. Can't quite recall, but it was something to that effect. And I had ace four, and my opponent bet the river. And I was just pretty confident they had some sort of like one pair or two pair with the, the pair on board and went for like a big bluff raise all in. And it was a point in my life where I was really proud of myself that I, I did like what I felt I had to do and I, it did work, but it was a very easy moment to let sort of the gravity of my life situation uh, overtake the, the element of the game itself. And part of the reason that I, uh, you know, I guess I mentioned like it forces you to be your best self. Like I, I, I was glad that in that moment, I kind of was my best self. And like, I did what I really had to do, which was ignore everything outside of the game and, and really just focus on making the best decision in, in that moment. That is an amazing answer. That's really, really cool. Wow. That's cool. what a cool thing to have a moment like that. That's wonderful. Great answer. Yeah. Um, it was, thank you. It was yeah. Wonderful. How, how do you, uh, Shells wants to know, how do you unwind after a long poker tournament? Yeah. Um, I'm not the best at doing that, to be honest. Like, uh, I, 
I mean, often what I do is go back home and discuss with friends or study myself a lot of the situations I was unsure of because they're fresh in my mind. That doesn't really like... It's not really on the line. <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, I guess that's my own way of doing it. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, usually I continue doing poker-related things until I'm too tired and then I fall asleep. Interesting. Okay, that's great. Uh, I... I probably could stand to have a better practice. Like I've tried just like coming home and reading a book or whatever, mm-hmm. but my mind is still too focused on poker. It's not that easy for me to just turn it off. Like I can't right. any other thing I could do. I've tried like late night workouts that can sort of help. Uh, but at that point you're quite tired physically mm-hmm. and that's not always the best time to be doing rigorous exercise. So it really helped with that one. Not just Netflix or YouTube or something, just kind of like zone out, nothing like that. Yeah, sometimes some YouTube stuff can can be nice. Uh, like listen to a podcast or, or watch a cool, insightful video, but it's just really tough for me. Like the situations are so fresh in my mind. I really just want to, I want to kind of put them to rest. Maybe that is my way of unwinding. It's like, I have a lot going on in my mind. It's like, oh, I want right. to know about this. Like, did I have the right ideas here? I'm not sure. So I figure it out and then it puts it all at ease and then I can I can rest easy after that. Well, you, you've piqued my interest. Uh, you know, you said uh, you're thirsty for knowledge. You always like to learn. Do you have, and I like, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, educational YouTube content as well. Do you have a particularly favorite channel that you subscribe to on YouTube? So it's only a recent subscription, but... Uh, if you've ever heard of the channel Yes Theory, yes, they're fantastic. Yeah. They're amazing. I love those guys. Yeah, you just went to uh, Pitcairn Island. You see that one? You did go there. I just watched. No, no, that I, video. Didn't, I didn't go. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. <laughs> no, okay. but they just made the video. Thomas went to Pitcairn yeah. Island. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just love their their whole ethos and and uh, their explorations and their adventures. Seeking yeah, discomfort. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. The great Very brand. Cool. Great. Fantastic channel. Highly recommended. Yes, there. Good stuff. Um, two more from Shells, then we'll move on. Um, do, do, do you have a bucket list in life? And if so, what's on it? Yeah, kind of. Um, it's actually funny. A friend of mine earlier today was asking me about goals. And I've never been a super goal-oriented person. And Part of that is because I live a generally unstructured life Mm. at times to my wife's dismay. Not really the most, like, I don't have like a calendar. I don't schedule things in Uh, that can backfire at times. And I might try to change that (laughs) at some point. GTO there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But there are a few things that I really would like to do in my Mm. life. Some of them are just like going to certain places on earth. I think that'd be really cool. Uh, some of them are more uh, personally related. Uh, like I opened a nonprofit last year. I would like to um, continue because uh, I've done a lot of charitable stuff, but it hasn't really been super organized in my life. Um, and then my friend Dan Smith has double up drive and uh, it's been really inspiring seeing how he's grown that. And of course I enjoy contributing and supporting him in his endeavors as well. Uh but yeah, like giving back something that's really important to me because poker is a game where you're pretty much just taking. So mm. I like to balance things out in that regard. 
Uh, I'm pretty passionate about education, which is another reason, I guess I didn't really get into this when you asked about learn, but I do think like kind of cliche, but knowledge is power. Mm. And I think a lot of the issues that exist in our world stem from the fact that there isn't uh, like a, a lot of sectors in our life that we experience have been uh, increased in efficiency due to technology and, and the digital age. Right. And I'm not really sure education has uh, been as impacted by that. And I guess like more specifically, when I look back to my education, I went to a pretty reasonable school district in New York. I'm grateful that I had that exposure to knowledge growing up, but even still looking back, I feel like there were a lot of things that could have been uh, changed for the better. For example, I didn't really learn any practical life skills until I ended up meeting people who helped me learn those uh, when I kind of got into poker. Right. And maybe part of that is my own ineptitude. And I can't, it's maybe it's unfair to place some of the blame on the school district or the curriculum or whatever. Uh, but yeah, I just think there's a lot to be said for empowering youth with knowledge uh, so that they can, you know, problem solve and understand kind of what challenges await them when school ends uh-huh. and you'll have multiple choice tests to, you know, figure out if you're going to be able to pay your rent at the end of the month. Right. Uh, hmm. So yeah, I, I would like to open a school or do something education related at some point down the line. I think that would be awesome, but cool. it's not anything that I have planned in the near term. Mm-hmm. You have to. And I'm I mean, starting like, a family, also. Right, right. Uh, that's and good luck as well with that. Um, kind of, kind of important. Always good to to give back that sort of thing. I, I feel obligated. I have to ask. So um, you know, I'm just also personally interested. So your nonprofit. What's the focus there? Uh, what's it about? What does it raise funds for? Yeah, so um, it's called the Peaceful Earth Foundation, and uh, it's, again, not super structured at this stage. I have a friend in India who uh, I've worked with on a few different projects and, uh, yeah, love him, and he's, he's amazing. Um, he has some ideas of how to efficiently connect some uh, successful business owners that he knows with some NGOs over there. Nice. Uh, and then more locally. Um, I've been in touch with a few different uh, people, seems to mostly be the single mothers demographic hmm. uh, that they just need help. It's yeah. it's like, it's tough. Like I've, I've found that uh, I would really like to help people become sustainable in their own lives. Hmm. And I find that that is a much bigger challenge than I have initially uh, realized it to be. Um, because a lot of that is sometimes it's education related. Sometimes it's just like practically there's obligations outside of, uh, you know, just spending time working on something or, uh, you know, when you're really starting from scratch, like it's, it's just not that easy. Right. Um, hmm. so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's challenging, but it's fun also. And it's fun just also. such a, a wonderful thing. Like you said, you know, poker is just a game or by definition, we just take, it's a beautiful thing to give back uh, in that way. Um, yeah, and, yeah, and oh, one more thing I'll add sure. is like I'm very grateful to be able to give back. Mm. Um, I would say, if anything, for me, sometimes it's challenging to know where my limits are in terms of what is reasonable to give. Uh-huh. Uh, I have found that otherwise reasonable people, if you uh, 
um, give them the option to be enabled, they will take that option. So it's oh. challenging in that regard also. Right. Very you want to make sure that you're helping someone, not holding them back. Right. Right. So, uh, well, I guess sort of the opposite side of that spectrum uh, is uh, Shells' uh, final question here. We got one more question asked afterwards. Uh, Shells wants to know, do you have any guilty pleasures, Andrew? Guilty pleasures. Um, I don't know. Do you like to sit first class? I don't know. Oh, like like indulgent expenses. Yeah. Uh, food. For sure food. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like uh I don't I don't th- I don't think I'm like a frivolous spender, really. Um live pretty humbly. Mm-hmm. Um, but with certain things. Uh, food in particular. I think food's also, I mean, there's a practical benefit in terms of like health. Sometimes you get what you pay for. Mm-hmm. Not always though. Uh, yeah, I, I just really enjoy the experience. I've actually sort of tested it in my own way and I'm heavily biased because I do enjoy like good food. But um, if I, if I don't, uh, you know, spend as much on food, I sometimes find that it does affect my happiness when I know I could be spending a little bit more to where it's not really going to change my situation in life. Although over time you can save quite a bit. Um, Yeah. That, that would really, that's, that's the one that came to mind most immediately. And, and uh, any shout out to your favorite Vegas restaurant? I like a lot of the Japanese places in Vegas. Um, They're also open late. So that goes well with my sort of night owlish schedule. Nice. Um, cool. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, Acid Burn FX. We're going to end off with uh, the most creative uh, question asker. Uh, Andrew, if you were an artist, what would you paint on your first day and why? <laughs> well, it's funny that this is mentioned. I had a, a nice conversation with a friend recently where I asked him, you know, in, in the poker uh, sense, do you see yourself as more of an artist or a surgeon? Ooh. And he said, surgeon. And I said, oh, that's interesting. Like, I see myself as more of an artist. And then I mentioned to another friend uh, what uh, we discussed. And then it kind of uh, became apparent to both of us that it, there's not actually really much of a difference. It's just in terms of how you see it. But I've always seen poker as an art form. So it's funny to, to be asked this question. Uh, and I have actually, so funny enough, I was quite into art in high school. I did like some graphic design type stuff and some sculpture and even some painting and sketching and whatnot. So, uh, I have done some art and I think like the photorealistic, uh, creations are to me particularly impressive because that's not something I really excel at this, uh, here drawing is actually something that I commissioned. Uh, That's a drawing? Like a, it is, yeah. It's, it's wow. quite impressive. Uh, it, it wow. was a, an English um, artist. Uh, he did it with colored pencil. And uh, yeah, I just find that photorealistic ability to be so wow. impressive. For, for those who um, aren't watching, if you're just listening, Andrew's pointing to a picture of himself, which I really thought was taken by uh, 
a Joe Harone or something like that. You know, one of the the hugely talented philo- um, yeah. photographers on the on the. That was, of um, course, the inspiration for it was just like a picture that was taken, right? And then he sketched it out. That is um, unbelievably. Oh, wow! Very yeah, cool. he's, he's amazing. Right. Uh, I think his name is Connor Hornsby or Hornby, an uh, English artist. Cool. Um, wow. But yeah. Uh, I personally would do a more impressionist kind of thing with a lot of like swirly lines and patterns. And uh, I do sometimes mess around on like MS paint and, and just have fun with, with that kind of thing. Cool. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's kind of more the direction I would take something. Yeah. That you'd look at and, and everyone would get kind of a different feel of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Uh, we'll do two more and wrap it up. Um Acid Burn FX is asking Andrew, what would you do? I love these questions. What would you do if you could become invisible for a day and why? Hmm. <laughs> That's really interesting. Uh, I guess. So maybe this would fall under the guilty pleasure category. I think it would be interesting to see how, uh, I don't know. The only thing that comes to mind is like, so I go to certain restaurants in Vegas. I think it'd be interesting to see how people act around other people when I'm not there. Cause like, I think, uh, Mm. I have a certain vibe and impression and people treat me a certain way because I'm very friendly. I would just be curious to see how other people would, uh, uh, I guess, like how people I know would relate and interact with other people that I either know or don't know. I think that would be interesting. I don't know. Kind of be like a fly on the wall sort of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being a fly. I mean, that's kind of what you'd want to do as if you had an invisibility cloak, right? Right. what would you do? Do you have anything that comes to mind? Oh, that's funny. No one's ever asked me that. Um, me either, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and invisibility, like what would I do? Oh man, now I got to take the time back. I was not prepared for that uh, question. <laughs> what would I do if I could become invisible for a day? It's an interesting question. I, I think, I don't know, just like certain places where I could never visit, but like if they didn't know I was oh. there, and like, I wouldn't do anything, but just sort of see like, I don't know, like the back room of a casino, like when they're counting the money, just like that oh, seems like such an interesting operation to witness. And just for like security reasons, obviously people aren't allowed there or like, I don't know, totally. behind the scenes of like, um, you know, the, the president's task force or whatever it is, like places where no yeah, camera yeah. goes, like that kind okay, of thing. I, just I wasn't considering all the options. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I would love to go to like... Um, Go to Egypt, see the Sphinx, see the Great Pyramids, like that kind of stuff would be rad. I didn't yeah. even I didn't even consider that. Yeah. Yeah, well, you can do that without being invisible, though. You can, but you can't get that close, right? Ah. Trapdoors and and get in the mix. Right. <laughs> cool. Excuse me. Okay, so we're gonna do one last question here from Acid Burn FX, a fitting one, I think. Uh, on which to end the show. Uh, you know, again, anyone who's been listening this whole time, first of all, thank you very much. Uh, clearly uh, an exceptional guest, not just at the felt, but uh, just love the way you think, love the way you express yourself. Andrew, Acid Burn FX asks, how do you want to be remembered? What do you want to be remembered for and why? 
I like I like this person's questions. I again not something I've ever really thought about. Uh, I guess kindness is something I value that I'd like to be remembered by. But more than that, I would just hope that um, the things that I guess I've done in my life somewhat speak for themselves and yeah uh i don't know i I haven't really put like much thought into that whole idea of like remembrance or legacy or anything yeah interesting question i think because you're still building it to a degree (laughs) makes sense that's a fair point very cool well Thank you all for uh, for sending in your questions for Andrew Lichtenberger for Lucky Chewy. And again, a friendly reminder to all of you out there in the Cards Chat community, we'd love to see you submit your questions for our future podcast guests in the dedicated thread on the forums. Guys, please be sure to give us a good review on iTunes and spread the word via your social media channels if you like the show. Andrew, before we let you go, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? No, nothing really comes to mind. It was a pleasure to be here. I very much enjoy this interaction and uh, yeah, wish you all the best and look forward to seeing you again in person next time you come to Vegas. Awesome. Well, hopefully uh, mid December for the WPT world championships. I'm sure you'll be uh, excited for that event series. So that sounds good. Awesome. I appreciate you saying that. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I know I enjoyed it. Uh, Thank you again so much. And thank you all for tuning in once again to another episode of the cards chat podcast. I'm Robbie Straczynski. You can follow me on Twitter at card player life. I wish you all a wonderful day. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.